0: that we have this past week got to know ourselves and know who we are so that we can know God, we move on to the next step, which is to going back, to go forward. And for a lot of people, this may seem weird. Like People ask all the time, well, should we dig up the past? Don't worry about it, it's in the past, just move on. But maybe it's just me, and maybe it's because I played rugby that going back makes sense to go forward. But for a lot of us, what we don't understand is the impact that our past has on our presence, the impact that it has on our daily lives. And so Peter paints such a great picture of this in, the first, in this chapter about how blessing is passed on from one generation to another generation. And we love to talk about this. We love to talk about how, oh, God's, God's blessing will pass on. But we forget that the Bible also talks about how the sins of the father is passed on to generations. We don't like to talk about those verses. We don't like to think about those. But we realize here that the blessings, we realize right in Genesis that because of Abraham's obedience, the blessing went from him to Isaac and then to Jacob and then on to Joseph. And then we begin to realize as he talks about this and he writes it out in the book that there's the other side of the coin that we talked about, and that's the um, sins are also passed on. And, and he walked through this incredibly in just the book of Genesis, Sorry, the pattern of lying that happens in these families, that Abraham lied about being married to Sarah, and then Isaac and Rebekah's marriage was characterized by lies. And then Jacob lied to almost everybody he met His name actually means deceiver. This is his name. And then 10 of Jacob's children lie to him about the death of Joseph and deceive the father, so much so that they have a fake funeral and they keep this secret for a very long time. And then another sin that's passed on and taught is the favoritism by at least one parent in each generation. Abraham, he actually favored Ishmael. Isaac favored Esau. Jacob favored Joseph. And then when he thought Joseph was dead, he went on to Benjamin. I always tell my kids, I have Emma, my daughter, and Miles, my son. And I jokingly tell them all the time I say, Miles, I just want you to know, you are my favorite son. Emma, you are my favorite daughter. To which they always look at me and go, you don't have another one. And so we realize that there's not supposed to be favoritism, but here is something that's taught and passed on, and then also passed on is poor marriages. Abraham had a child out of wedlock, Isaac had a terrible relationship with Rebekah, and Jacob had two wives and two concubines. And then we see this pattern go even farther right down into David's life, and then into Solomon. And then the one that we're gonna kind of talk about today a little bit is the brothers experiencing a cutoff from one another. Isaac and Ishmael were separated and they never saw each other. Jacob fled from his brother to save his life. Joseph was cut off from his 10 brothers for a very long time. And when we read through it, does it not make sense? As you hear this and you read it, And you look in the Bible and you see how when the father did something, so did the son. And and you see how it affects the whole family. Does it not begin to make sense why we actually need to go back to go forward? For many of us, we can look at our families and we begin to see these patterns that are not healthy. Or a parenting issue that has been passed on. Or a marriage problem or divorce that we see come through our families. It's happened to so many different family members we see it pass on, or siblings that are estranged, siblings that are no longer connected. As we see this, at what point do you begin to see the patterns and see this pass through the generations? And somebody in your family line, you need to say, enough. It stops here. And we have to look back to move forward. We're not just like our parents or family. This is a generational struggle or problems or, none of us like to say it, but sins. Generational sins that we, we need to address in our lives. We need to talk about because here is the thing, whether we talk about it, whether we confess it, whether we look at it or deal with it, what we have to understand is that our past does affect today. It affects today. It affects how I interact with my wife. It affects how I interact with my kids. It affects how I interact with other pastors and co-workers and people from the church. And I've had to walk through this. I'm here by myself today just because Melissa asked us for a Sunday off. It has nothing to do, if you were at the trivia tonight, it has nothing to do with talking about a CD. But as we sit and as we talk through this stuff, you need to have an honest, Look at your life and go, what part of my past is affecting my today? What part of my past is affecting my relationships? It affects how I interact. It affects how I think. It affects how I walk in my life. We're going to talk about Joseph and look at that. And again, if you were a part of the trivia night, you'll know that this is my favorite story and this is my favorite uh, person to talk about. And that's why Melissa said, just go for it. And I just love the story of Joseph. It amazes me. And still, as I read it and study it again, there's things that jump out at me. And we're going to read at this moment from Genesis 37 to verse four, uh, Genesis 37, two to four. And it says this, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers and the sons of Bela and the sons of Zeppelah his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ordinate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word of him. Can you imagine being one of his brothers, and you're reading And you're thinking, you're sitting in the field and you're talking to each other and you're like, you know what, I really think that dad likes Joseph better than any of us. Well, I know, I think you're just reading into it. And then all of a sudden you see it's in scripture. God breathed, this is the truth. Our father loved our brother better than us. There's no much more proof that you need than that. It's written in the word of God and we understand how much they hate him. They hate him already just because of how much his father loves him. And then Joseph has dreams. He has two dreams. One where he tells his brothers, here's the other thing. If you have a dream about your brothers bowing down to worship you or a family member bowing down to worship you, I wouldn't encourage you to share this dream. Um, this is a lesson just taken from Joseph. But he tells his brothers, oh, I had a dream where you bow before me. And then he had another dream where not only do his brothers bow, but his parents bow before him. And his brother's anger begins to stir up even more against him. And so what do they do? They see him coming one time in the field. He's walking towards them and and they plan to kill him. This is their plan. They hate him so much. They're like, let's kill him. One brother says, we can't kill him. So what do they do? They throw him into a pit. And as they're trying to figure out what to do with him, there's a caravan of people, of um, traders coming past. And they ask, they talk to each other. And what they do is they sell their brother to these traders. They sell him. And why they sell him to these people, they, these traders head into Egypt. And when they get to Egypt, they sell the slaves that they have got along the way. And as they get there, and as they begin to sell Joseph, so he's sold by his brothers, and then he's sold again in Egypt to Potiphar. He's one of the Pharaoh's officials. He's actually the captain of the guards. And he's put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. He's put in charge of over everything. The scriptures tell us that so much so, that Potiphar didn't even know what was happening in his house. That's how much he trusted Joseph. That's how much blessing was on Joseph's life, that he just gave it over to him. And again, we see where as he's walking through and living life close to God and being faithful to God, even in these moments, he's living a holy and righteous life. And then because of his leadership, because of who he is, Potiphar's wife gets a crush on him. She begins to see him and she begins to uh, hit on him and flirt with him. And then all of a sudden she approaches him and and asks him to sleep with her. and, And he turns her down. And then one day it says he goes into the house and all of the servants are gone. No one's there. And Potiphar's wife traps him. And she advances on him and tries to sleep with him. And he does what every righteous man should do. And he runs. He doesn't walk, he doesn't stand there and try to talk his way out of it. He just runs. And when he runs, he leaves his jacket behind. And because he leaves his jacket behind and she is hurt and wounded, she accuses him of raping her, of trying to advance on her. And Potiphar has to believe his wife, and as he does this, he sends Joseph to prison into Pharaoh's prison. And when we think of prisons that we have now, this is nothing compared to what Pharaoh's prison would be. And see, as Joseph, I always envision Joseph as he's walking through this, remembering the dreams he has of being in this role where his family bows before him. And I could see how when he's in Egypt and he's working for Potiphar, that all of a sudden he begins to see like, okay, I'm in charge here. Potiphar's close with Pharaoh. Maybe Pharaoh's going to see what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh is going to look down and say, ooh, he is a really good servant. I want him. And this is how God's going to move me into these higher places where he takes me to leadership. And I can see him sitting there and thinking this through and like, okay, God, I see what you're doing. And then in an instant, he's thrown into prison. And when he's in prison, God's favor is still on his life. So much so that the warden of the prison puts Joseph in charge of everything in the prison. And here's what Genesis 39, 23 says, The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Isn't this amazing? Joseph's a prisoner and he has such leadership and such blessing from the father that the warden basically hands him the keys and says, You're good. I trust you. You look after things. And this is the blessing that God has on his life. But as he's living this life, and as he's walking through trying to be faithful, all of a sudden what happens is he's in the prison, he's looking after things, and Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker end up in prison. They end up in prison, and all of a sudden they have dreams, and they try to figure out what these dreams mean. And Joseph comes along and he interprets the dreams. And the interpretation is very simple, baker, you're gonna die. And cupbearer, you're going to go get get your job back. And sure enough, this happens. And the baker's baker's killed, and the cupbearer's back doing his job. And and Joseph says to the cupbearer, just remember me. And the cupbearer goes, I will remember you. And then the scripture tells us straight that the cupbearer forgot him, forgot all about him. And then two full years later, Joseph's still in prison. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh has this dream, this weird dream. And he's looking for it to be interpreted. But all of the people in, in Egypt, all of his uh, the smartest people, the wisest people, the um, um, magicians, and all these people who would interpret dreams have no idea. And so Pharaoh's very frustrated. And it's in this moment where the cup remembers Joseph. <gasps> I remember a guy. When you had put me in prison and he interpreted our dreams and they came true. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph and Genesis 4, 41, 14 says, So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And then he, when, he, when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So here is Joseph all of these years, all of these times, waiting, trying to figure it out, but being faithful, walking through this life. And all of a sudden, he has a quick shave. I'm guessing a shower if they're going to change his clothes. So he has a quick shower, quick shave, and he goes before Pharaoh. And he interprets the dream right there. Pharaoh tells him what the dream is, and he interprets it. And then within a few hours, he goes from a prisoner to the second in charge of Egypt. Within a moment, Pharaoh says this in Genesis 41, 39. He says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Gone from a prisoner to the second in charge, and only when it comes to the things of the throne, is David separated? Is only then is there a change? Everybody is supposed to treat David the same. So here we are, we have to realize Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service with Pharaoh. So when he becomes working with Pharaoh, he's 30 years old. And we're introduced to Joseph when he's 17 years old, when he was sold by his brothers. And then we have to realize as we walk through this promise, so all of a sudden we realize that's 13 years that Joseph had to walk through before he's even put into the place of authority. And while he's in that place of authority, the dream still has not come to fruition. It hasn't been fulfilled because his brothers haven't come yet. So we go through then seven years of abundance because that's the dream. There's going to be seven years of abundance and then seven years of phantom uh, famine. So in those seven years of uh, abundance, we need to stockpile. We need to store. We need to make sure that we, we take in the extra, not to spend it, not to squandle it. Because once we get all of that, we need to make sure we ration it for the next seven years. And so Joseph is put in charge of this and they build all these storehouses and they, and they prep for it. So we go through another seven years. So we go from 13 to another seven. So that's 20 years Joseph is walking through in faithfulness. And then the scriptures tell us that it takes two years into the famine for his brothers to show up, his brothers to show up looking for food. And then we read in Genesis 45, 1 to 9, it says this. His brothers are there. They're in the room with Joseph. And it says, then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And so here's what we have to understand. Joseph's brothers have already come and they've got food and and Joseph made them leave a brother behind because his father still favored Benjamin so much he wouldn't let him go with his brothers because last time he lost Joseph. And so Joseph is asking these questions in the first meeting and he's like, Okay, so is your dad still alive? Where's, do you have a younger brother? Okay, so one of you has to stay. And he will not be released until you bring your other brother. And so they go back and they actually, the father won't send them. And they actually go through all of their food until they have to go back. And when they go back, they bring the youngest brother. And this is where we are, where he's sitting here now. And, and Joseph kicks everybody out because he can't hold the emotion back anymore. And he's had everybody leave his presence. And then in verse one, we pick up and says, so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He shares with them and he's, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. This is my, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Can you imagine? You sell your brother, you think he's dead, he's gone, and then all of a sudden he's right in front of you and he is so powerful that he could have you killed in a heartbeat. And you realize that you're bowing before him just as his dream interpreted, as he explained it so many years earlier. And then at verse 4 it says, And then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When you had done, And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you for two years. Now there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you, a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. So we realize now that it's been two years. And so we understand that he was sold at 17. He's 30 when he starts. We have a total of 22 years from the time that Joseph has this dream to the time that his brothers bow before him. How many of us have a hard time being faithful in prayer to see God's plan come out in our lives for 22 days, let alone 22 years. And the road that he walked on, the ups and downs, the, the, in a pit, the sold, into a prison, and all of a sudden, where God promised him. That God was faithful. And here's the amazing thing. If you look back at what we just read in uh, Genesis 45, 1 to 9, and you look at verse 5, and you look at verse 7, and he says the same line. God sent me ahead of you. He sent me ahead of you. And then in verse eight, he says, not you who sent me here, but God. How emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy is Joseph at this point to know that it wasn't his brothers who sent him to Egypt, but it was God. You know, this challenges some of us when we think about uh, the way God works and what he does. Now, I want to challenge some of us to think for a moment that what if some of the bad things in my life was actually God's path for me? Now hear me, some, not all, but what if some of them were God's hand, not the enemy's? We realize that Joseph's brothers, Joseph is the one looking back and saying, when you sold me, it was God that sent me ahead of you. When I was accused and sent into prison, it was God that sent me ahead of you so I could be in the place that I needed to be. If he did not interpret the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, he wouldn't have been standing in front of Pharaoh. We think back in our lives and we begin to understand that all of the things that happened, we love the fact that we hold on to the promise that God works all things out for good for those who love him. And that's where those ones were. The bad things that have happened that I don't believe are God's plan. That bad people do bad things and make bad choices that affect other people. But then there's things in our lives that if we look back and we realize, man, in that moment, that wrecked me. But because of that moment, it shaped me to be who I am today. It pulled me out of where I was. We have to listen to the way Joseph walks this through. See, in the time between the famine and his brother, or the year of abundance and his brother's coming, in that season while he is working in those nine years, Joseph has two kids. He marries and he has children. And it says this in Genesis 41, verse 50. Before the years of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Ashna, daughter of Potiphar, priest, on, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Masana, and it said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. And the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Joseph looked back on his life. He looked back and when he did, he saw that God made him forget the trouble. God was working through him and forget his father's household. He was able to forgive them and move on. He forgave everyone, and he saw God's plan. He saw how God got him into Egypt, got him ahead of everybody, and why he needed to be there. He was actually able to save his family, because he was sold by his family. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. It shows that Joseph was a time in Egypt was not easy. This whole process wasn't him just sitting back, going, "Oh, this is amazing. I see God's hand working." but it was through the suffering and that he stayed faithful, that he was able to be shaped into the person that God had called him to be, to be able to lean on God and to be able to walk to where he needed to be. We need to look back so that we can break off old habits or that are passed on from bad habits from our fathers and our fathers before us or taught behaviors. We need to look back so we can break these off. We also need to look back to see God's direction and his hand on our lives and how he guides us and leads us. I remember when I first moved here, and when within a month, if you remember, I dislocated my ankle and I broke my leg in a few spots. And when that happened, it threw me right off because I was so into sports. I so was competitive and I was in such (laughs) better shape than I am now. And then when I was younger in grade eight, I broke the same foot. And God healed it within a few days. And you could see the x-rays where it was broken and then it was healed. And so I had such faith that God was going to heal my leg and my ankle again. And I remember waking up out of surgery and seeing this full cast on my leg and so confused. And when I got in the car to drive home, I remember I asked God this question. I asked God, why did you choose not to heal me? Because my faith is at a point where he could have healed me. There's no question. There's no part of me that goes, oh, maybe that was too much for him. So if God could heal me, then my only question was, God, why did you choose not to? And God doesn't always answer these prayers. He doesn't always give us a reason. Because sometimes we don't want to know the reason why. But here is what I heard so clear. I heard the Lord say this. I need to slow you down so we can spend time together. And during that season where I could not get around, I had to sit on a couch or when I came to work, I had to sit in a wheelchair. I just felt the Lord's presence because I slowed down and I spent time with him. As we, as we learn in this series about practicing a Sabbath and slowing down and making sure we're spending time and, and going through the devotional book and meditating on the Lord and waiting in his presence. And just for a moment, if, if you don't have, one of those devotional books and you're like, man, I wish I could get one. We still have some here at the church. So email us at uh, info at Bethelstratford.org and we will get you another a devotional so that you can dive in even farther. And as we spent time with the Lord, he was able to mature me in my faith and, and strengthen me. And Now when I look back, it was such a great season. And I remember when Melissa and I um, broke up from our engagement. And I remember how that affected me and how it wrecked me. But when I look back now, I see how God walked with me and that my identity in him shifted and changed. And I became to understand who I was in Christ. And so I look back on these painful moments in my life and I I asked so many times through that, why God, why? And when I look back now, I see why and I see him building me and strengthening me. I've shared with you many times in the last little while, and I've never really opened up about it. But you've heard me share where um, a few years ago, and it was actually September 28th, 2018, that I received a prophetic word over my life. And it was, I've said it before, it was like 25 minutes long. And the first 12 minutes was great. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle, they said something and it wrecked me. And for the next 12 to 13 minutes, it felt like I was getting gutted. But there were such promises in this prophetic word as well that I needed to work through it. And so today, I just want to take a few moments and share with you what happened. And in this prophetic word, they made me have to deal with past rejections in my life, where I had to look back in my life. And they said to me, they have, you have received such strong rejections that you need to go back and heal from this so that God can promise. And he, and he walked through all these promises. And so when I listened to the prophetic word now, it doesn't hurt as much, but in the moment it was so hard, but it sent me on this road that I had to go back to deal with past rejections in my life in order to move forward. And through prayer with, and help from a spiritual director that I joined and uh, reached out to to walk through this situation with because it was too much for me to bear on my own. I, through prayer and understanding and waiting on the Lord, I narrowed it down to three major rejections in my life. And through those rejections, I didn't realize the impact that they still had in my life. I didn't realize how much they impacted me and affected me every day. These rejections were influencing the way that I led my whole life. They affected my work. They affected my marriage. They affected the way I parent and friendships that I had. It even affected my relationship with the Lord. I wouldn't, I feared rejection so much that I was never able to know what God really needed me to do. I wasn't able to be honest in relationships. I wasn't able to be honest in my marriage or even to parent well because I was afraid of being rejected. It affected so many areas of my life that I had to go back to go forward. And my spiritual director, he had me write three letters uh, to the people who I felt the most rejected from. And so I had to write out uh, how I felt and what was going on. And, and in these letters, I not only did I extend forgiveness, but I repented of my part in it. And then I printed these letters out. and I put them in a sealed envelope. And we, I went to meet with my spiritual director. And we, and we sat there and we prayed over these envelopes. We prayed over the situation and we prayed healing. And then we burnt the letters. The people never received them. I never sent them to them. But as it was burning, as we were burning, even before we were burning, as we were praying, the process, and as I was looking at these envelopes, as we were praying through breaking this off, um, just as we talked about the mortgage earlier, I looked at these three envelopes almost like a mortgage, like this debt that was over me. And all of a sudden through this prayer and knowing that what do you do when you pay off a mortgage? You burn it. You get rid of it because it's gone. And as I was sitting there and was looking at these envelopes, it just felt knowing we're about to go burn them, that your debt has been paid. You have been set free. And so we went outside and we burnt these envelopes. And as they burnt, I felt this release coming off of me and this lightning happening. I did not feel this heavy weight anymore. And I'm looking back to see where God was during those events, what was happening and, and asking him for the strength to forgive people who were involved and then repenting of my own part and being set free. But by looking back in our lives and looking in our families, we see the patterns and the sins that have been um passed on from generation and and i know that now that i've cut this off of my life that i won't pass on to my kids this this fear of rejection because i understand even more who i am in the lord and i'm able to share my feelings with friends on how i feel about a certain situation not fearing that they're just going to cut me out of their life and walk away And I can share with Melissa how I feel not being afraid that something's going to happen. And I can share with my kids because I'm not nervous. And I can lead as a pastor and and as a person and in friendships because I understand now. And it's only by looking back that we can walk forward and allow healing to happen. To know where to work as well. Looking back also helps us to go, this I still need to work on. And so even though... I feel that rejection has been cut and it's been gone. There's other things in my life that I need to work on. And it's only by looking back and seeing, oh, this is how it still affects today. And working through those things, knowing where to work, knowing where to pray. If you haven't done the genogram that's in this series, you really need to do it. And you figure out the patterns and you see it. And it's not to scare you. It's not to burden you, but it's to show you where to pray and where to work. Don't rush through it. Don't print it off and be like, oh, I got to get this done. Take a week and work your way through it. Joseph took his time to look back over his life. There's four things we learn from Joseph as he looks back. And the first one is this. Joseph had a profound sense of the bigness of God. The bigness of God. When I look back now and I see the areas of rejection in my life, I see how God worked and what he did and how he worked in it. And so he remembered the bigness of God is he's encouraging his brothers. It was God that sent me ahead of you. It wasn't you. Peter, he writes in, the, in EHS and he says this, God never loses any part of our past for his future. When we surrender ourselves to him, he will use it all. God will use every bit of our past if we give it to him. The second thing that Joseph did is he admitted honestly the sadness and the losses of his family. He was honest with himself. He wept about when he was reunited with his brothers. He wept about losing them and not being with them, and, but it brought healing to him. And he was able to not only forgive them, he was able to bless them. The third thing, Joseph rewrote his life script according to scripture. He had every reason to question why things happened and where was God and question his worth and why should I keep going? He had every reason, but instead he opened the door to God's future by rewriting it with God. Okay, God, this is where I am. What do you want to do? Where can we go from here? The fourth thing that Joseph did is he partnered with God to be a blessing to his family. When his brothers came before him, he could have had them killed. He could have pushed them out and never gave them any food, but he constantly gave them food and gave it to them for free. And then he moved his whole family there. And actually even Pharaoh said, look, don't bring any of your belongings. You have everything that we have here. And so they were just sent wagons and said, let's go, leave everything we can. We have all the best that Egypt has for us. And so instead he blessed them. He supported them and he provided for them. And so in order to go back to move forward, we need to do it in a community with others. We need people around us as we walk through this because we need people to help guide us and lead us. And we need, so if you're in a small group, that's where you start. If you have close friends around you, that's where you start. You need to have mature friends around you. I had a spiritual director. I have my wife. I have friends that will help me walk through this. You need to have a mentor in your life. A lot of us, we need to have a counselor in our lives to help walk us through this. If you don't have a counselor, you need to have a spiritual director, have somebody mature with you. And then you need to have trusted friends. You really do because Peter writes at the end of this chapter that you need to ask this question. And it's such a powerful question. It's such a freeing question. It's such a dangerous question because you have to trust them and you open up your life for them to speak into your life. And here's the question that you ask somebody. You ask this, how do you experience me? How do you experience me? Tell me the feelings and thoughts you have when you are with me. And please be honest with me. This is such a heavy question. When you're with me, how how do you feel? How How do you feel in my presence? What are your feelings and your emotions? How do I make you feel? And be honest with me because when people are in my presence, I want them to feel loved. I want them to feel respected. I want them to feel worth and honor. And this is how we walk through it. When people are honest with us, we look back and see where does it come from? We pray through it. We walk through it and it helps us. We listen to their answers and we begin to pray into it. that It will lead us to the next lesson that's coming up, which is the journey through the wall. And we pray and we ask. Let's just take a moment and pray together. Father, I just thank you for how you speak to us, that Lord, when we look back over our lives, you will show us where you were, you will show us how you've protected us, how you walked with us, that in every scenario you were there. And that Father, you are always molding us and making us into the image that you need us to be so that we can do what you've already called us to do that you've put before us. And so Father, I pray that everyone is watching, that they are praying right now and asking you, Holy Spirit, show me the areas that I need to work in. I pray that Father, you begin to reveal names to each other that are trusted friends, that we can ask these tough questions and walk through this, that, Lord, as we heal, we are stronger. As we heal, we can bless. And so, Father, we give you not only our past, but we give you our future as you guide us and lead us. Show us the areas, Lord, where generational sins and generational patterns are being passed on in our lives that are influencing us today that, Lord, we're even blind to. And, Father, the ones that we already see, give us the strength to fight against it, to give the strength to work through it that we will be a better person, a better leader, a better parent, a better spouse, a better worker, a better friend, a better Christ follower for you. So Lord, give us the strength in Jesus' name, amen. So normally this is where I take a minute and I'll send you into a group to pray and stuff like that, but I'm not gonna do that today. What I actually want to encourage you to do is find a trusted friend. Maybe you're sitting with your spouse, maybe you're sitting with somebody who's a trusted friend Maybe you need to call somebody, and I want you to ask them this question. How do you experience me? Tell me the feelings and the thoughts that you have when you're with me. Please be honest with me. You need to call somebody and ask this question, and and they're going to be honest with you if they're true friends, but they're gonna be honest with you because they want to see the best you grow and develop. That's why the friends that I have, they will speak life into me. They will correct me. They will challenge me, but they're coaches in my life because they want to see me be the best Chad that I can be. And so if you need prayer this morning, there's people waiting right now online that will pray with you. You can go to our website and just click on the link for morning prayer for Zoom and the staff are waiting there. There's prayer team waiting for you and they're going to pray for you this morning. And maybe you need prayer about something that has nothing to do with this message, they want to pray with you. You need prayer for healing, they want to pray with you. You need prayer for encouragement, they want to pray with you. And so please go and be prayed for this morning. Ladies, sign up for Beautifully Flawed Happening tonight. The link is on our webpage, and that's how you'll get your Zoom link and be able to connect with that tonight. And so God bless you, and thank you for everyone joining us today. God bless you.